right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. My name's Jesse Jones, and today on the show, we've got Nicole Austin, the general manager and distiller at Cascade Hollow Distilling, otherwise known as the mastermind behind the resurgence of George Dickel. And that's not to say that he's ever gone away, but she is definitely bringing some of his liquid from the past into the future. And she's done so with such freaking imagination, and, and I just... I. This is one of my favorite conversations that I've had. She was so fun to talk to. Me and her hit a rhythm immediately, and we're off to the races. We're talking North Carolina. We're talking New York. We're talking Brooklyn. We're talking Ireland. We're talking horses. We're talking a little damn bit of everything, people. So without wasting too much time, I just would like to say thank you for being on the show, Nicole. It was a pleasure talking to you. You're, you're so innovative in what you're doing right now, and we appreciate your time. And for everybody listening at home, if you would, please go hit like, go hit subscribe, go to Instagram, go to do all the things we ask you to do. Uh, listen to the Will Jones Band. Go see him in Nashville. Hey, Nicole, you're in Tennessee. Will's in Tennessee. Got to get you guys together. I'm sure we can make some fun things happen. But for right now, we've got Nicole Austin. We've got George Dickel. It's the Bourbon Showdown Podcast. Let's start the show. Welcome. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, We're super excited to have you. Uh, We have Nicole Austin, the general manager and distiller at Cascade Hollow Distilling Company. Uh, Welcome to the program. A lot of people have been asking us to have you on, so thank you for agreeing to be on. Oh, that's amazing. I hope I live up to their uh, to their desires. That's amazing. Oh, yes. Well, I, I, I think uh, you guys have hit the public consciousness pretty hard lately. Everybody's been talking about the Dickel Bottled and Bond. That's exactly what it was meant to do. So I'm so glad to hear that. Well, it, it really is so good. And it was, uh, it was one of those wonderful juices where people were, hey, have you heard about that? Like the best kind of marketing you can have is when somebody calls you and goes, hey, have you heard about this? And I feel yeah. like the buzz behind the B&B got, got right there where it was supposed to be. Well, I'm so glad to hear it because that's exactly what I was aiming for. You know, I think <laughs> whisk, people that love whiskey, you know, you, they don't need like the big marketing campaigns. You know, when there's like, amazing liquid out there for a reasonable price like you know people are going to snap it up and that's exactly what i was hoping that they would say you're 100 percent correct we, we seem to find it like if it's yeah. good somebody so and it's such a close-knit community both on the distilling side and the consumer side that if somebody has liked it it will travel the world word will get around yeah and and that goes the other way as well which is why i'm so paranoid every time i'm doing a blend (laughs) oh that's a hundred percent true uh what is the um what is the adage that you want them you don't want to be their first bottle you want to be their third bottle yeah and i think you know i I want like dickel bottled and bond especially is meant you know, I want people to drink it and I, I want them to enjoy it. I don't want to sit on a shelf collecting dust. Like, you know, I want them to be enjoying it and like have, you know, not, not feel like they need to hoard because they have faith that I'll keep coming with more. You right, know, that's right. the ultimate compliment. <laughs> well, and I think that I, my philosophy is whiskey is meant to be drank regardless of, of 
who makes it or where it's from. If you buy a bottle, open a bottle. And, and, and when you yeah, finish that bottle. Yeah, it's not a museum. It's a bar, right? Yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not called your home safe or your yeah. home bank. It's your home bar. So if you That's buy great. it, open it when you get home. Don't open it in the car on the way home or they will tell me to stop doing that and not let me go to the ABC store anymore. No, I had to be, I had to be schooled on that, you know, so I'm, but I'm so grateful that I was like, you know, don't hoard it, like enjoy it. And you know, you can't take it with you. And there's so many amazing whiskeys. You know, if you sit around and wait for like someone to graduate to enjoy them, you, you're going to end up with, you know, man, more whiskey than you should responsibly drink at that particular graduation party, right? Like you got to just go for it. I just picture some like old person that has all of their children graduated, no more grandbabies, no more marriages. They're like, what do we do with all this whiskey? (laughs) That can so easily be me, and I try to drink it. It's like such a ridiculous hoard. Sad. (laughs) I I go through phases. I feel like at the beginning of the pandemic, everybody hoarded a little bit just because we weren't sure what was going to happen to the supply chain. Yeah. Oh, man, I was the opposite. I was like, all right, well, I'll be here by myself. I'm just going to start cracking these. (laughs) What a wonderful way to start the pandemic. Just, uh, well, can't let it go bad. I guess I better better do it up. Just goes to show you never know what's happening. Can't that's... wait till tomorrow. Enjoy this beautiful whiskey today. <laughs> hey, that's that that needs to be on a bottle. You know what's going to happen tomorrow? Enjoy your whiskey today. This sure. sounds like one of those um, nineteen fifty-five billboards as you enter town. There's oh, a... completely right. Yeah, like a madman. Yeah, yeah he's got a fedora and his tie tied tight, and he's uh, the the Glen Cairn glass is popping yeah. up out of the billboard. <laughs> <laughs> so true uh hey you could join my marketing team we'll hey that. i'm on it i'll be there <laughs> I, I, that's always been i've always wanted to be in one of those pitch meetings where somebody's trying to like pitch how to make something that's awesome resonate with people that like awesome things oh boy uh i could tell you some stories <laughs> oh i we, we could go down that rabbit hole for a while uh <laughs> I, I used to, I was on the marketing team for J. Crew, and mm-hmm. oh it, gosh, that must have been interesting. Oh um, well, it was awesome. It was right in the heyday, uh, that uh, '90s boom, right when yeah, they cool. kind of took over the world. And just to be in a meeting where people are being very, 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 very serious about pants. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I once sat through a meeting where it was obviously no one at Siagio. It was someone outside the company, a third party. And they came in and 100% with a straight face pitched to me that the tagline for George Dickel should be pull it out anywhere. Let's just let that one hang in the air for a second. (laughs) Can you just just picture that? George Dickel, just pull it out anywhere. Absolutely not. Brought to you by George Dickel going out of business. <laughs> Buy it now because after he pulled it out, he got put in jail. Good like, Lord. What, what are you talking about? Absolutely well, not. The, the, the hardest part about that, great. Now all we're going to do are make puns. Um, oh, listen, it's unavoidable. I mean, like Dickel, it's a funny word. You know, it's a funny word. It's a funny brand. It's a funny little, uh, it's something I like about it, actually. It's like, it's got a bit of character. Oh, you know? completely. Like, like, as much as it's like, 
you know, a, the name of a dude from the 1800s, and it's like a 150-year-old brand, like, it's always had a little bit of a sense of humor about itself, and I don't know, I, I like that. Like, we had Merle Haggard as a spokesperson. That is the coolest the thing I've ever heard. Isn't that, yeah, like, so there's all this old, like, Merle Haggard merch, like. Oh, I my I, God. <laughs> right? I, lo- I love that era of Dickel. Like, it never <laughs> took itself too seriously, and I kind of love that about it. So, I'm fine with a button i just i want to i want to now hear uh merle haggard like like you know after a long day of riding the road and going where life takes me i reach for a delicious bottle of george dickel and that was right. like and, and every, boom we don't even have to shoot that one again you you got it on the first take we're sending that to the floor right like there's no like there's no need to like put him in character it's like just go yeah like just go do if i had the money for you know like a 3d version of him like we just wouldn't even have to think about what we're doing for marketing now because the answer the solution would be obvious right a hologram a hologram of merle haggard he spends his days just like greeting people at the george at the at the distillery just listen when we make this a big brand, I'll have the money for that, right? So let's let that be the incentive for everyone to talk about it. Because, you know, you make this a big brand, one day maybe I can build a hologram of Merle Haggard. I, I think you've already got a big brand. Uh, I, I, I've been a loyal uh, fan of the brand since college. Like, that was one of the first oh, things you. we ever uh, – me and my buddy, Mr. Uh, Joseph Bird, we're over 30 now, so we ha- he can't be Joey. He's got to be Joseph <laughs> Um, I remember he'd come back with a handle and that would just be, that was fine dining for us. You know, it, it, it was, it was a step above, uh, 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 Jack and beam. And, and we would just, uh, sit there and relish in the moment that we had some, some, some George to get us through the weekend. Oh, I love that. And I, I think that's a good, that's a good place to start. We'll segue yeah. back into the conversation. Uh, <laughs> Because he is. Uh, the Dickel brand has been one of the better known brands and it's lasted a, a long time. One of the original pioneers of American whiskey. I, I, mm-hmm. Could you could you give people listening at home maybe some of the new bourbon drinkers that aren't as familiar with the brand a little history on George Dickel? Sure. Yeah. So this actually our 150th anniversary year, um, 2020 was. Yeah, we just the, so the brand is 150 years old, uh, which you know, it's, it's pretty, it's a really big honor to be a part of, you know, a heritage distillery like this. And I think you're exactly right. You know, that late 1800s period was such a heyday for American whiskey. You know, there was like so much distilling going on, you know, agriculturally, we were, uh, you know, becoming a lot more advanced and with transport, like people were able to access whiskey. And so um, George was a real person. First fun fact, he was a merchant in Nashville. Um, and like so many people at that time, it was very common for whiskey to be like sold by merchants that it, the brand wasn't about the distillery, right? It was about the seller. So right. kind of like, you know, those like like Johnny Walker, you know, like those, brand, those like blended scotch brands, right? So he would be buying whiskey, um, you know, from through middlemen that would have gathered it up from like, you know, the countryside distilleries brought it to Nashville, and he would sell it on. And something that's interesting about George Dickel and kind of the way that we connected to Cascade Hollow and kind of found that home was he had a real early insight that, you know, where your whiskey's from matters, right? And that like different distilleries produce different quality of spirit, which was probably particularly true in the late 1800s. Um, and he 
made a direct investment in, in Cascade Distillery uh, and so that that could be the supplier of his whiskey. So he kind of was early on in, in making that like, okay, this is a great distillery. Uh, this is going to be the source of George Dickel Tennessee whiskey. So that's how we came to Cascade Hollow. That was in the late 1800s. Uh, you know, we had it really got going early 1900s was a really good time for the brand. But then, of course, prohibition came pretty early to Tennessee. So it was 1911. Right. Um, how, did, how did Tennessee decide to do it like 10 years before the rest of the country? Yeah, well, everyone thinks of the, you know, the federal amendment. Right. But a lot of states were passing laws, you know, ahead of that that were, you know, putting distilleries out of business, you know, or, or, or prohibiting alcohol. And so it was quite a long time. It lasted for about 30 years in Tennessee. Right, right. Uh, and the George Dickel brand at that time, uh, you know, like so many others from around the country moved to Kentucky um, and it was produced at some different Kentucky distilleries um, at different periods in its history. We have, we, we don't have all the evidence, but we have some pretty good evidence suggesting it was produced at Stitzel Weller for a little while. Um, Certainly some Tennessee style whiskey was made at Buffalo Trace. We've, we've got, there's some interesting kind of relics sitting around of like them trying to copy that charcoal filtration process, um, you know, up in Kentucky. And so it was, it was a real, uh, that brand could have easily ended so many times, you know, like it's really pretty surprising that it's lasted. Um, George died unexpectedly. Uh, and he had actually directed his wife, Augusta, to sell the brand on his death. Really? And she ignored him and kept it going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which I just love. We won't um, be doing that, no. <laughs> right. <laughs> ignored him, kept the brand going. It was like bought and sold, you know, produced in different places, like a contract brand without a home for a really, really long time. And then um, Shenley Corporation bought it. Um, and, this, and then in the 50s, they kind of had the insight that George Jiggle Tennessee whiskey should probably be made in Tennessee. Just, you know, makes sense. Right. This feels reasonable. Yeah. Um, and so they were the ones that went to rebuild the distillery back in Tennessee. So that's how we ended up where we are now. Um, they bought up the whole, uh, you know, hollow, the whole Valley of Cascade hollow where that original distillery was from the 1800s. And we actually have pretty good archeological evidence for where it was. And we still use that same spring water actually um, to as all the production water for the distillery today so it's well, about a mile down the creek from where the original location was because obviously the factors are different right like they needed to be right next to the spring and pretty hidden right. which is like right. right on a very steep hillside you know whereas we needed to like be able to get tractor trailers in and out so um, the distillery now is on the val the like kind of valley floor um it's really it's a really beautiful place so that's how we ended up where we are um and then you know the 70s was a heyday then you know of course the 80s happens and everyone starts drinking you know vodka, vodka. and american whiskey struggles and uh, you know it's it's the distillery turns off and turns back on and um you know it was it's it struggled, you know, like we struggled to get here, but and we had some amazing moments in our history and some real, it's kind of a real story of a lot of a, a lot of peaks and valleys. This brand. I, don't, I don't think that today's consumer is aware of just how bad things were for bourbon and the, uh, and whiskey in the eighties. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's funny. There's a great, um, I don't remember where it was, but clearly someone had like wandered off the path at a bourbon mm -hmm. tour and, you know, spoken with uh, some warehouse men about, 
how people fell in love with bourbon, you know, in like the early 2000s. And they're saying, oh, like, you know, so many people are falling in love with bourbon. It's like, well, no kidding. You know, like everyone's putting like 11 year old whiskey in their base spirit because they had so much. Right, you know? right. Um, so, yeah, it's been, it's a lot of ups and downs. Actually, the 70s was um, still kind of our peak. Really? Mm-hmm. Because then, I guess in the 70s too, you would have had less distributors competing for the market. I don't know. I honestly, I don't know. I wasn't around then. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Neither was I. Maybe, maybe that's our back to the future moment. We just go back. Right. We, we don't go back to like uh, World War II or the dawn of time. We just go back <laughs> to the 70s and taste whiskeys at various. And like record a, and like record a commercial with Merle. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Just uh, sitting there in a smoky bar after a long day of riding <laughs> up and down these dusty roads. <laughs> I yeah. could do that voice all day. I, I I won't, but I could. Well, you know, you never know. Maybe we'll put that in the strategy. <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. If you guys need like uh, just yeah, if you need some funny, we we can do Perfect. like a, so, some Merle, some short uh, <laughs> online videos showcasing Merle that makes us laugh and makes really? Merle fans very very angry. That's probably true. I should watch out. <laughs> no, I take the brunt of everything that happens on this show. You, you uh, say whatever you want. It will boomerang back to me. I'm okay, still, perfect. I'm still apologizing to hipsters for the Taconic episode. <laughs> Listen, then that means you owe me an apology too, because I used to live in Brooklyn and ride my like single speed bicycle and my skinny jeans to my artisanal distillery. So yeah, <laughs> you know. Hey, I was right there with you. I was in Astoria, Queens. Jeans so jeans so tight you had to stand on the train because if you sat down, nothing would you would just be Frankenstein out on the floor. But I looked fly. Oh yes, I was dope. I looked very mm-hmm. dope. We just <laughs> aged ourselves. There's no hipsters anywhere. Uh, I, you you couldn't have heard me if we were talking back then through my through my ironically large mustache. Ooh, <laughs> fancy! My horn rimmed glasses. I, I I looked like a bartender that had just left a Weezer concert. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> oh man, I was all like you know metal band T-shirts and skinny yeah, jeans. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I don't think I owned anything that wasn't black or motorhead related. Yep. And motorhead yeah, guns and roses, theme. Pantera. And, and then <laughs> like, as you, as you age, you, you find the t-shirts getting a little more comical, like, Oh no, it's just, it's a funny saying in a, in a cool font. <laughs> I also enjoyed embrace my nerd gem. I had like a t-shirt that was like, if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the precipitate. <laughs> <laughs> and I absolutely rolled around Brooklyn in that. Oh, I know exactly who you are now. Me and yeah. you just got to know each other. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I was, uh, uh, one of my favorite things was I would take my, um, my bike to, uh, it wasn't a one speed. I wasn't cool enough to be a one speed, nor was I good enough on it to know I could stop on a one speed. Uh, but we went from Astoria to Brooklyn all the time. That was like our loop that yeah. we would make. Yeah. And um, unbeknownst to me, uh, somewhere on my ride, because, uh, you know, you're, you're, you, it's like a 13-mile trek if you do it yeah. right. Yeah. And 
I'm I'm it's the middle of the summer. I'm in like um camo shorts and probably a Rolling Stones t-shirt if the picture if the, if the pictures from that day are accurate. And um, I had no clue until about halfway through the ride when people started honking at me cuz you know people honk at you anyway when you're oh, riding a bike in New York. They're going to kill yeah. you. Um, they're just it's just we're angry. They'll run right into you and they won't stop. They'll just they'll get mad at you like you were the problem. You were in the oh, road. So. No kidding. No kidding. And then you get like unreasonably angry as well. Like yeah. Uh-huh. I don't mm-hmm. think I don't think I've ever yelled like like literally oh. anger yelled at somebody more. Yeah, because your adrenaline is so up because you're like I could have died. Yeah, well, <laughs> it, it, a van, and it wasn't like today. It wasn't an Amazon Prime van. It was like a a, a creep van, white blacked mm. out windows, and uh, uh, yeah. taped on Driving headlights that almost miles hit an hour you. Down Manhattan Ave. Uh huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, halfway through my ride, people start honking at me and I'm not thinking anything of it because, you know, they honk at you all the time. Comes to find out that my uh, camo shorts had ripped somewhere along the trip. And now everybody on uh, uh, everybody in Greenpoint was just getting a good old look. And I, I, I have no idea until my friend Troy is like uh, uh, yelling hey, buddy. And, and I and I stop. And um, kind of give everybody a curtsy. Yeah. Give everybody the, there you go, everyone. Show's over. Nothing to see here. <laughs> and I think I tied my pants together with a belt and rode back to Astoria. Hardcore. <laughs> Lucky I didn't get a ticket, I guess. I guess so. I think they've got better stuff to do. <laughs> Well, you don't want well, to be that. You don't want to. You don't. You don't want to be in jail for that. What? No. What are you in for? Ah, did some stuff in Brooklyn. I'm not too proud of. All right, <laughs> your nickname's Brooklyn now. <laughs> well, here we are, mature adults. Yes, yes. Uh, uh, we'll we'll say mature adults. We'll go that route. And so, what brought you to uh, George Dickel? Like, like you've been, you've got like a pretty storied career in the past ten years. Yeah, all this actually, yeah, all in the last 10 years. So um, I started in the industry um, in 2010 with Kings County Distillery. So um, I before that, I was actually working in the environmental engineering industry in the city. Um, and actually on, on that bike ride, when you were biking from Astoria to Greenpoint, you drove by my favorite wastewater treatment plant in New York City, Newtown Creek, with those beautiful egg-shaped yeah. digesters. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's the largest wastewater treatment plant in New York City. Did no you way. know? 750 million gallons. So, big, uh, yeah. So, what so that's you, what I used to do. I used to work in wastewater. What took you from environmental engineering to, to, to whiskey distilling? Well, <laughs> working in wastewater treatment is so glamorous, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's hard to imagine I'd ever want to leave that industry. <laughs> Some people say it can be quite the shitty job. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It had to happen. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was not, you know, it was not quite what I expected. Uh, It was like, you know, lacking in glamour of my uh, mid-20s self-desired. And I didn't know what else I was going to do, you know, and it just took me a while. It's, It's silly to imagine now, but I, you know, I didn't even know how whiskey was. It didn't even occur to me that that was a job that I could do, you know, like it doesn't get presented to you when you're at like your college career fair, you know, as like a, as a reasonable pursuit. Um, so I was in a bar, I was drinking whiskey, 
you know, the bartender was telling me about this particular whiskey and how it was distilled. I was just like, holy shit, you know, like that's literally what I went to college for. I can make whiskey, you know, being full of hubris, you know, that right. you are. Um, and I was like, obviously that's what I should do with my life. You know, like that, that's so, I was so interested. I was so excited. It, you know, it just hit all my buttons. It was like agricultural and creative and artistic, but very sciencey and engineering at big scale. Like it just hit all my buttons. But at that time, you know, for folks who are into bourbon now, like rewind back to 2008, like craft whiskey was not a thing then, uh-uh. you know, it was a couple of big players and you pretty much had to have the right last name or you weren't ever running that distillery, you know, Very and fair. It, it felt really closed off. And, um, so I spent a few years like knocking on doors, you know, writing perky little emails about how helpful I could be. Um, but the craft spirits were really just getting off the ground. So I got my first opportunity, um, with Kings County distillery. They were the first distillery to be licensed in New York post prohibition. And they were right in Brooklyn. So I pretty much just knocked on their door and was like, hi, I will work here now, you know, <laughs> like, hello, I have I the thing here. you need. I definitely have the thing that you need and whether I do or don't, I'm not leaving and it's awkward and I'm in your doorway. So <laughs> let's sort this out. Um, and you know, it's like, Oh, sweat equity is a word that I've heard. Like, you know, we can do this. Right. Um, so that's how I got involved. So they got licensed in April. Um, and I joined the company that July. Wow. And, uh, so that was 2010. Yeah. And we were tiny then. I mean, we had, five five gallon stills uh that we bought off of hillbillystills.com for like a hundred bucks a pop wow in like a tiny little mixed use commercial space in brooklyn uh you know a book called making pure corn whiskey <laughs> that you know i was just like paging through and figuring it out um we were fermenting in like those five gallon restaurant tubs you know um it was a tiny little operation but we started um, winning some awards you know like we started just getting a little bit of notoriety and you know we all kept our day jobs for the first couple of years we're sort of doing this on nights and weekends and then you know kind of got to a level where they were able to get a little more investment we could grow but no shocker you're like tiny brooklyn distillery does not pay your brooklyn rent right you know? right so the way that I four hundred dollars a month yeah <laughs> exactly because you get a window <laughs> Yeah, it was was a rough one. So the way I actually kind of made the jump to being able to distill full time was actually thanks to Dave Pickerel, um, who hired me. Uh, and for you know folks who don't know him, he he was a real visual player in craft spirits. He um, had a consulting company and helped a lot of craft distillers get off the ground. And I was his first hire actually at that company. That um, is awesome. So I worked with him for years. And it was like a masterclass in American craft distilling. And I learned a ton from him. And that's what let me, you know, be a distiller full time. So that's how I got to kind of into the industry properly. Could you um, pick and a better the way, learning tree? No, I couldn't have. I was so lucky. It was, you know, I was hugely fortunate. He he was a real reservoir of information. And there's not a lot, you know, and, and especially in American spirits, not a lot written down. You know, it's very oh, much yeah. a passed down you know in between the industry so i was so lucky to be able to learn so much from him and then i you know kings county was growing more they needed me there more so i was doing that more and then doing some consulting on the side um kind of to cover the gap were you still doing the environmental distilling or the environmental during the day no i had i had quit by that time thank god throughout all my business suits was a distiller full-time um you know there were some lean months in there, but of made course. it happen. 
Um, and then uh, William Grant, I did some work for them and then they offered me uh, the role of commissioning engineer for the distillery they were building at Tullamore So I moved to Ireland um, in 2016 and I lived there for two years, uh, commissioning the grain distillery that they were building for Tullamore. And then that's where I was when I got the call about this job. How awesome was that? You got to Amazing. spend, oh man. Incredible. It was incredible. I wasn't going to come back, which I think hopefully shows how incredible this opportunity was because it got me to like leave the magical land of whiskey and horses and like rainbows. Oh, <laughs> so. That's right. You, you are a horse, you, you, mm -hmm. a, a horses aficionado. Yeah. No, what do you say when it's horses? You like horses. Let's just keep <laughs> I it do. simple. I do. Um, <laughs> and Ireland is like, you know, this is amazing for that. And so I, yeah, I was super happy, but this, I mean, Dickel's such a unicorn of a distillery in American whiskey. Like, you know, it had that heritage, right? You know, like that honest to God connection to the real birth of American whiskey, you know, as a category. Literally. There's not a lot of distilleries that have that yet. But oh. then at the same time, no one had kind of come along in the modern era and given it its own modern identity, you know, like it hadn't already exploded, you know? Um, it, it was it, ripe for it. It was totally ripe really, for it. Really, and there's that is just so rare. So I, I couldn't say no. Plus, we have a lot of really nice old whiskey in the warehouses, and I wanted that. And and I think that's the beauty of having someone like yourself come in. You had a sensibility. You understood that there's all this good stuff here. Let's yeah. share it with people. Oh, absolutely. And that's very much what I've been focusing on these last couple of years. Is that the first thing you did? Just take inventory. Yeah, um, I done, I've done it uh, twice now, like take just kind of big swaths of samples of our aging whiskey to try and get a sense of what we had, you know, because you can look at a spreadsheet, but it doesn't really tell you, you right. know, what the whiskey is like. Um, and we've, you know, we've, we've turned on, we've turned off, you know, like we've had so many different uh, periods in our history. So there was a lot of variability in there. And I spent a lot of time trying to you know, figure out like how, what's the best way to use all of this stuff. Right. So, so how cool was that? Like you're, you're, oh. you start and <laughs> the first thing ever. you get to do. Well, I guess I have to stand around for 10 weeks and know, and nose whiskey. Yeah, that's Good fine. Lord. <laughs> and and, and were, were those, let me, let me see how do how do I ask this? Were what you found during that exploration period, was that what, is driving what we're tasting now or, or have we not Absolutely. even got there yet? I, I would say this is only the beginning. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. There's a lot in there. It's, there's a lot of really special whiskeys in there. So, so what, so, okay. So I'm getting ahead of myself. You're, you, yes, you get to George Dickel and now what did you want your first move to be? Like you've done inventory, you're tasting all of the goodness. What, yeah. what was your mindset in terms of, I got to come out of the gate swinging. So for me, the most important thing, you, know, you only get one chance to make a first impression, right? So Agreed. with the bottled and bond, you know, that was my first innovation in the role. And I wanted to pay respect for the heritage, you know, right. to, to demonstrate uh, respect for Dickel's character and what it's about, and then be able to talk about my own values, you know, transparency and authenticity and, you know, good value for money and all those things that I care about as a producer and a consumer. Yep. And so that was why I bought on a bond, you know, like to me, that's the best thing that we have in American whiskey that, that says all of those things. And then the reason really I did it, just, it does, right. It's, it's, you know exactly what you're getting, you know where it's made, you know where it's from, you know what's in that bottle. Um, and I, I value that. 
and it was appropriate. You know, it's, it was also a category that was created in the late 1800s, like along with the history of the brand. But I easily could have just picked a bunch of four-year-old whiskeys, you know, um, and still done that. But the reason I chose those 13-year-old, you know, those beautiful whiskeys was I also really, really wanted to make the point I think so many folks have been just passing over George Dickel, you know, and really Tennessee whiskey is a category that the real bourbon enthusiasts didn't think of it as bourbon, you know, thought of it as something different, tended to look past it, even when they were drinking it, you know, in other bottles and loving it, that they didn't really know that where that whiskey came from and how amazing it was. So I really wanted to pick whiskeys that would absolutely demonstrate unequivocally that Cascade Distillery is one of the greats, you know, in American whiskey production. And that is something I really wanted to pick your brain about today. The Could, could you just discuss the differences between uh, Tennessee whiskey and, and Kentucky sure. bourbon? Sure. No, I'm so happy to because I think it's so commonly misunderstood. So first point that's so critical to understand, I think, is that Tennessee whiskey is bourbon, right? So... It's Thank a you. Regional, Could you just say yeah. that again, I, I, or, or two or three more times, because people will <laughs> ask that question. Tennessee whiskey is bourbon. Right? It is bourbon. It, Tennessee it, whiskey is bourbon. <laughs> it, it, it's one of those questions that people ask, and I'm like, okay, don't don't think about it. it the way you're thinking about it. Think about it in terms of what goes into the spirit. Yeah, and no, it's and it's hard, and it is confusing, right? Like it doesn't say it on the label, so obviously, you know, you're full of doubt, and I understand that, like. The, the way that I know the Tennessee whiskey is bourbon is the Tennessee whiskey statutes to so the, the kind of piece of law that creates Tennessee whiskey as a category, which is passed by the state of Tennessee, literally copied and pasted the regulations for bourbon, right? So the first like 80% of the law is like reads, make bourbon, you know, yep. fit all of the rules. So be in the United States, 51% corn, distilled to less than 160 proof, aged in a new barrel, right? You've done all the things that you have to do to make a bourbon whiskey. And then also, if you want to call it Tennessee whiskey, you need to be in Tennessee, right? Which feels right. pretty reasonable. And then you need to utilize the Lincoln County process, right? Which is that charcoal mellowing process that happens after distillation and before the barrel. So you have to be bourbon, Right. And then you also have to do two other things. And so take that I think Kentucky. It's, it's, it's bourbon plus more. It's bourbon plus more, right? It's, <laughs> There's our I marketing the pitch way, right there. Oh, yeah, nailed it. Yeah, I'll definitely put that on a billboard. That's, <laughs> we'll, we'll, have, we'll have Earl Haggard it, it, it whiskey plus more. Plus bourbon more. plus That's more. Right. <laughs> I think the best way to understand it is like, you know, if you imagine Scotch whiskey, right? Like, Scotch whiskey has its own rules, but then there's like regional identities inside of Scotch, you know, Isla and Highlands. And, it, you know, and I think Tennessee whiskey is like that, right? It's a regional type of bourbon, the same way that, you know, now, and what's so exciting to me is that I think people start to understand that better because you're starting to see more of those, you know, yes. when we created Empire Rye in New York, like, or, you know, Texas has got a certified Texas whiskey, or now we've got American single malt, like Missouri has passed their own Missouri bourbon is a thing now, you know, like, so I think people will start to come to understand it a little better as those things become more established. 
it, it's a lot easier to discern now that you have multiple examples. Yeah, and it it becomes slightly like less confusing for folks. But Tennessee whiskey, I, you know, I got interested in it because it really was like sort of the that longest running, you know, American regional bourbon identity. Right. And you know, it's it, like. Kentucky bourbon, you know, the only thing that distinguishes it is the state line that it's made inside of, you know, um, and Tennessee whiskey really does have its own, uh, you know, character and requirements. I find that really compelling and exciting. I completely agree. It, it, it's one of those things that it's like when it was just the two of you and, and honestly, in the American lexicon, it was Tennessee whiskey and Kentucky bourbon. But to yeah. your, and, and it's easy to when it's only two to just think that, oh, well, these two things are obviously either stark contrast or against one another or like like people were amazed when Pepsi called Coke to say somebody was trying to sell them their secret web recipe. It, it, it's there. I feel like that. Yeah. The mindset can easily be one or the other. <laughs> but now that there's yeah. like uh, every state with good water is starting to produce, it's a lot easier yeah. to do what you just said, which is geographically yeah. understand it's the same as wine in that this is made yeah. here and this is made there and this geography is going to be this flavor profile and et cetera, et cetera. Not just like yeah. wine, but you, you, you know what I mean in terms of like uh, yeah, uh, the Texas juice has a different flavor than the New York um, juice. And, you know, like we're still just at the beginning of imagining what that might all mean. So I think anyone who says now, like, oh, it is this, we don't know yet, no. you know, but I think 100 years from now, we'll probably have really good clarity. <laughs> but, uh, you know, right now, we're still at that sort of discovery moment. And just like you said, two, you know, two people doesn't make a category, right? Two producers. So exactly. even Tennessee whiskey, like we're only beginning, I think, now to understand like what that category is really about. And well, I find there, that exciting. There is some phenomenal juice coming out of Tennessee. I can tell you that there right is. now. For sure is, yeah. I mean, man, sure is. is there a Tennessee whiskey trail? I mean, that that would be a there fun is. thing. Yeah, and actually, we get more visitors per year than the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. There you go. That's awesome. Mm -hmm. I, 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 that needs to be. I, I want to do that next because I've got so yeah, many friends in amazing. Tennessee now. It would it's be amazing. Awesome. Welcome visit. Yeah, I. You don't have to say that. I don't. Mm -hmm. Don't. Don't joke. I'll be there. You'll wake mm -hmm. up in like two days, and I'll have just not slept. I'll be in ragged like Tom Hanks from Forrest Gump clothes because I just. Well, we wouldn't let you in the distillery just now, so you might have to hold your horses for a few 14 months. Fourteen days. I got. I got a quarantine. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of horses, again, both of my yeah. children are starting to ride. What this oh, is complete. Uh, is that a, okay? Expand on that. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're oh. both getting into it. Uh, my father-in-law has horses and they're going to start riding. So what do I need to be prepared for? An empty wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I've been a comic for 12 to 15 years. Check. I've got the empty. Got yeah. Empty wallets. Great. That's accomplished. I, that, that's all I got to worry about. Then. You're prepared. <laughs> you should be just fine. <laughs> Oh yeah. Oh man. It's a pricey hobby, but I love it. It is so, I, I don't know. You're either into it or you're not. And I love, I just, I just love it. I, it's, there's something really deeply satisfying about like, you know, that partnership with a, an animal that definitely does, you know, outweighs you by about a thousand pounds and absolutely does not have to do what you ask, but right. you know, will. And that's really satisfying. Well, you could draw a parallel between it and creating bourbon or whiskey because you're still, you're tapering nature to an extent, you know? 
It's very, yeah, I find it very mentally soothing to ride because you have to be so in the moment. You, you know, present. I think a lot of people like, you know, those real um, like folks who just always have a busy mind and are always thinking about things like, mm -hmm. you know, it's one of the things I love about this job that I'm doing that there's so many pieces of it and so much responsibility in so many different areas. And, you know, you're always and pieces are always moving, you know, whiskeys are getting older, they're changing character, like, you know, you're always thinking, 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 and it's nice to be able to, to go riding and really just shut all that down for a minute. And you just have to be so present and so in the moment. And so, you know, it just quiets, quiets the mind in a really nice way. I hear you. I, I feel the same way about surfing. There's, it's one of those things oh, where bet. you've just got to be present because if you're yeah. not, it's not going to work. And yeah. in your scenario, if you're not present, there's something that will immediately pick up on it. And, and then it's got the range. Yeah. And tell you to write off. Mm -hmm. I've got a sassy mare. She'll absolutely <laughs> let me know if I'm not paying attention to her liking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so I guess, is that what you do? Is that your main activity for your free time? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Nice. One of the reasons I'm also feel really lucky to be in Tennessee. Um, it's nice. I miss the Northeast, but man, it's really nice to be able to ride outside 12 months a year. Well, I, I, I feel like there's a time and place for New York in your life. And it, yeah. And I did it. I did all the things. Yep. And, now, and now I live in Tennessee and I love it. I'm mean, the history here. Like, <laughs> The distillery, I don't, have you ever been to, to Dickel? I it's, have not. I have not. It's so beautiful. It's like, it's so, it's special feeling. You know, you like drive into this valley and like the valley floor opens up and, you know, you can just see the spring fed creek that like feeds the distillery. And it's, I don't know, if there's something, there's something really magical, but we've got like a heron that like, you know, like hunts in the creek and I'll like see him when I'm driving in in the morning. And I don't know. It's, it's a, the beginning of Bambi. It, it's that first it, scene in Bambi. It, it's exactly how it feels every morning when I'm oh, driving. Man. <laughs> it's so nice. That is, oh, I, I, I I don't know it to that extent, but I, I can, I know the vibe you're talking about, especially yeah. after leaving the city. Uh, yeah. We moved to the beach after we left New York and that same vibe where you would wake up and you would drive and there would be nothing but ocean. Like yeah. a peacefulness yeah. to it that after living in Probably. at the height of uh, the metropolitan area, you know, it, it, it's nice yeah. to see that, have that serenity in your life. I'm so grateful for it. Yeah. So what does a day for you look like? So you, you drive past, you say hello to your, your animal friends. <laughs> yes. And, and in, into this, what sounds like just an amazing facility. What, what, what does the day look like as it sounds like your job is a combination of multiple jobs? Yeah. So unfortunately, um, you know, once your title is actually like distiller, uh, you actually do very little distilling <laughs> in your life, right? So I don't, the, the distillery can absolutely run without me being there. Like the, they do not need me to turn on the boiler or turn on, you know, run the still, get the trucks in and out. You know, those folks have been doing that for a really long time and they definitely don't need me to run a button in the day to day. But what I am responsible for is, you know, what, what's the quality going to be, right? Like what should the distillery, how should they be making the whiskey? What's important? What's not important? How should we think about 
uh, what's good enough, you know, like what is, what is good, what is not good enough, what, at what point do you maybe need intervention or need to do something a little bit differently? How much of each whiskey should we make, you know, because what are we going to do? You're always trying to like, you know, think about five, 10, 15, 20 years from now, when I'm going to be selling the whiskey that I just sold today, what, what spirits will I need, you know, and in what quantities? So a lot of those kinds of decisions. And then, um, you know, thinking about the warehouse, like, which whiskeys are we going to use for which products? You know, like this is, we have, we only have as much as we have, you know, you can't make more 10 year old bourbon tomorrow. Right. So right. where are we going to put it? You know, what's the best use? And, um, doing a lot of, a lot of that is a lot of what I do and how are we going to talk about it? And, you know, what's important to the identity and what can we change? You know, so. It sounds like a magical a chess game. It is. Um, it's, you know, always, uh, and the whiskeys themselves change. You right, know? right. So you go back in, you think you're going to do something and hey, it's been another season and the whiskeys have changed, you know, and what you thought that they were going to be like is not. And it's, um, it's fun. It definitely keeps you, it keeps you really engaged. There's a lot of moving pieces. Well, and it's an interesting company too, because your consumer base has a, has been your consumer base. So yeah. while you expand, you can't risk of, of cannibalizing your pre-existent uh, pre-existing clients. It, it, it's an interesting yeah. place that you find yourself because you need to grow and you yeah. need to maintain at the same time. That's right. And even that, that exact kind of thought is coloring every decision. You know, how do you, how do you grow, you know, and, and grow so that you can hire more people, you know, protect that distillery. Like if, if nothing ever changes, if we don't grow, you know, you, you can't live, right? Like you can't right. stay alive. So right. how, that's what I mean when I say figuring out what's really important. You know, like if we're going to expand, what's the most important? Is it the physical, you know, is it the physical still? Is it the, you know, this tank? Is it the fermenters? Is it the temperature that we're fermenting at? Like what are the things that are really critical to the character of these whiskeys? And what are the things that we could change, you know, as we grow? And, and things we maybe do want to change, like, being more sustainable, you know, being more efficient with our energy use, being more efficient with our water, you know, being safer. Like these are all things that are good changes. So, you know, it's putting them in the bucket of what's a good change and, and what shouldn't you change because it's really important to the character of the, the whiskey. Well, everything is in the orbit of, of George Dickel. Uh, like what you were saying, the safety, all of the best practices, there's definitely operational changes that you can make that probably create efficiencies that have been overlooked for decades. Sure. Uh, and, you know, I didn't want to fetishize, like I know some folks are, it's like, oh, it's, you know, like this, it's, everything's so old and nothing's ever been updated. And like, you know, I'm not going to make my team carry buckets of hot water off a ladder when we have pump technology, you know, like, it's, <laughs> you know, like there are improvements, like we can get better, totally. and, you know, especially on the sides that don't touch the whiskey, you know, like when it comes to like water usage and things like that, like, I don't believe that putting an automated valve that controls how much water through a pipe, like destroys everything about the spirit of a right whiskey, you know right and just, we've used we're a little more efficient with our water usage and isn't that a good thing you know um it, it, but totally the, if you go by that logic then we should all be throwing our um our bedpans out of windows every morning right exactly and like i'm not for that you know like no. give me the modern medicine but then at the same time like everybody should have polio a, 
Right. At the same time, it is special. You know, like whiskey course, is special, right? Like it's something that you're sipping. It's something that you're enjoying socially. It's cultural. Like it has meaning, you know, it's not Soylent Green, right? Like it's not just a, it's, it's Americana. Just, it's, yeah. It, it has history. I love the Soylent meaning, Green like, reference, culture. by the way. Sorry, you know, sorry like to interrupt. Not, but not just like PPMs of something that I'm going to put in, you know, and like drop them out of a bunch of like titrate them out of a lab to make a thing, which you can't even because right. the human nose is so much more sensitive than any instrument we have. Like there's a that element of magic to it. The complexity of it is special and, a, you know, worth preserving. So it's always balancing those two things. And that that magic is is what you're protecting like of all the things that you can change at the end of the day your goal is to protect the magic and as long yeah. as you do all the other stuff can fit in where it needs to it's my job to know where the magic lives it, it, you know? well said well said uh and, and speaking of magic segue <laughs> uh you went from the bottled and bond, and then you went to Cascade Moon, which which yeah. was sort of a, a, I mean that's magic in a bottle for, for, from Thank everything you. I've read. Now I've not tried it yet because I wanted to try oh. it with you. Oh, how but, exciting! But which one, edition one or edition two? Uh, edition two. Ooh, this is, yeah. Okay, yeah? grab mine. Yeah. Hooray for <laughs> everything that I've uh, I've read. I've just I've been so looking forward to this all week. Um, oh, good. Uh, what was your what was your game plan like like what was the thought process behind launching cascade moon so uh, in a lot of ways kind of almost the opposite of the bottle and bond you know so bottle and bond was all about heritage you know showing respect and kind of fitting in with george dickel but almost you know backward looking it's about the history of the brand you know the heritage of the brand cascade moon is about the future you know of of American whiskey as concept, you know, and, and being a little bit more creative and a little more fun and a little more exciting and, you know, not worrying so much if I do something a little funky and a little different, is it somehow like damaging, you know, to this beautiful brand with 150 year history. So kind of trying to separate them out a little bit so that I could be a little more creative and, and a little more fun. And it's brilliant because it's exactly what you should have done. Like, like it's the smartest thing you could have done in marketing your own growth for the brand because bottled and bond tried and true sets up yeah. the consumer to, to know that they're in good hands under your watch. I hope so. Yeah, exactly. And then cascade moon. If you liked that, just wait. Cause we've right. got more like, stuff coming. You can trust me. You know, I, I know what's good whiskey mm. and then maybe trust me when I tell you this thing, that's maybe a little weird is also still amazing. You know? Totally, totally. And I, I love that you went with the name Cascade Moon. You, you could have very easily called it George Dickel Cascade yeah. Moon or George Dickel 20,000 yeah. uh, 20, Leagues or some, some name no, that tied back. No, I need to step apart. I wouldn't want to... I think you have to be so careful and respectful for a brand like this that has so much history. And I agree. So I wanted it to set apart and... There's actually, interestingly, so where that name came from, I didn't just pluck it out of the air, um, was the cast, so George Nickel is made at Cascade Distillery, right? right. Um, and this distillery used to make other whiskeys, um, and especially in that kind of turn of the century period, they made um, another whiskey called Cascade Pure Whiskey, uh, which 
you know, we know it existed. There's some really cool ads. Like we know we have seen some bottles, but have no idea what the spirit was like, you know, cause it was pre-prohibition, uh, which is kind of freeing. Cause it means that rather than spending time trying to copy something that doesn't exist anymore, I could just steal the concept, you know, of like, Hey, this distillery can also make other things and, you know, do, do what I want with it now. So that's where it came from. And of course you can't call something pure whiskey anymore because the rules don't allow that. So cascade moon. That's awesome. So this, so the name still ties back to the history. It does, yeah, but a little bit like Brilliant. you know, t- tenuously, right? Like, right. hey, this distillery is bigger than George Dickel, right? You know? and, right. It, and it has been for a long time, and that's exciting. That is that. That's amazing, and that's such a great way to grow it too. Because then, if anybody gives you any flack about it, you could be like, no, this still comes from the lineage. <laughs> this is still part of the history of it. I mean, it's always going to be haters going to hate. Haters going to hate. That is 100 percent true. My favorite part about this industry so far has been that haters are going to hate. But, you know, who's not going to your peers, like everybody that you work around in this industry, they're pulling for you. Like like, it's so it's so inviting. And right, we all, we, I think we all know that we sort of live or die together and, right. you know, you, you want to encourage people to do well and appreciate good work when you see it. I think we all, you don't end up in this industry by accident. Mostly you're here because you genuinely love whiskey. Right. So when someone's, when there's great whiskey out there, like you're genuinely excited, you know, it, it, it brings out the, um, I don't want to say the kid in you because then you're a kid drinking whiskey but it brings out that uh imagination it's exciting yeah yeah yeah. it it brings out that exuberance that you have uh, when you when you found something new as a kid yeah absolutely so i think we all kind of share that and you know because none of us would be here if it wasn't if we didn't really love it oh the nose is so nice i love this whiskey so um this particular blend was built around, um, so we had one barrel from 2003 from when the distillery restarted after a long shutdown, right? So it had been not operating for years. And when they turned it back on, um, so they filled some used casks, which obviously that couldn't be sold as Tennessee whiskey, but the first day that they started filling new casks again and making Tennessee whiskey out, a bunch of the folks that worked there signed that first barrel. Right? So that's the barrel that I pulled um, to build the blend around for this because it's celebrating the 150th anniversary and obviously like the people who work there are such a big part of it. So we pulled that barrel, um, which is in the visitor center, that signed barrel. And actually a bunch of those folks still work there, which was kind of exciting and amazing for them to you know, be able to pop that barrel and do something special with it. Um, and then, so I built a blend around that. Um, it was, I think 20 barrels that we dumped, maybe 18. So not that many. Um, very, you know, kind of small batch for this special. Release. It smells amazing. Oh, I, it's, like, so all of these spirit, um, they're all from 2003. So 17 years old when they were bottled. And, and before we drink it, could you show me the bottle? Sure. It's a cool bottle. Because the bottle is, oh yeah, yeah. that so, is so cool. Um, it's ceramic, right? So we worked with this artisanal ceramic producer in Mexico to, um, you know, kind of a nod to the past, right? Where ceramic was really, but rather than like replicating an old jug, you know, I thought it would be a little more exciting to, um, it's, you know, it's a, a sandblasted when it's wet. So it's kind of got a really cool, like rough um, production. And then the labels that um, 
it's letterpressed on uh, old letterpress from the 1800s. Just, you know, some Brooklyn. nice touches. So Brooklyn. They're like, bring it back. You know, it's celebrating 150 years. You got to have a little history in there along with the modern. I love it. Uh, you know, the modern stuff. So, yeah, that's, that's the model. Absolutely love it. It is you can just tell so much thought's gone into it. It, it, it really is just like a wonderful offering uh, uh, for you to be coming out swinging with. I'm really proud of it. Well, and you know, if you're a Brooklyn nerd, you know how that letterpress label feels. It's like texturally really nice. And, oh, yeah, you know, yeah. Ceramic bottle, like feels really nice in your hand. Like it's just, I, yeah, I really like it. And, you know, it's a ceramic, beautiful, collectible bottle, but opaque so you can drink all the whiskey and still put it on your shelf. No one oh. will ever know. Right. Well, well, how how available are these? How can people get one? Not super available. Um, we the yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Um, I always feel a little guilty. Uh, that so this Mexican, the producer that we got the ceramic bottle from, only makes like a thousand bottles at a time. So right. that's all there was. Um, and of course, you know, there's always like some of the breakovers. So we have even less than that. Um, they went to Tennessee, Texas, and California. Um, and this is, they're, they're not, uh, not cheap. This beautiful whiskey in a beautiful bottle. So they're not the easiest to get a hold of, but I think it's super worth it. Well, I think it's that's, a, it's a behind the counter situation. Oh, for most sure. definitely. You can tell by the, <laughs> but you can tell by looking at it, uh, that, but that, that also accomplishes the other thing you need to have, uh, a, a word of mouth whiskey in 2021. Yeah. Guess what? There's only a thousand of them. <gasps> You know, I know, like, I almost is a little, I, I really like to, I want whiskey to be approachable, you know, oh, I, of I want course. it to be accessible, and those things are also important to me, but it's a 150-year-old brand. Totally, you know? totally. Know, you got to do something special to, to I completely celebrate agree. that, so... Yeah, oh, I was, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it. I, I was just joking at how people thrive on what they what they can't have. You tell them it's rare and that they're not going to be able to find it. Boom, you've got a line out the door. But I agree with you. It's a, it's 150 years. It's a big deal. And it, it, it's, yeah, it is. A big deal. It is. And it, it sounds like you've yeah. absolutely delivered on it. And if it tastes yeah. anything like it smells, the nose is so complex. You're getting sweet. You're getting the corn and then you're getting like, uh, it's almost like a toasted cotton candy. <laughs> it just yeah, smells. There's like a real marzipan kind of, yeah, yeah. yeah, like sweet. I know. I, I sometimes with very old whiskeys, I find they can be like, lose their complexity, you know, and actually be kind of one note. Um, in, so I was really working hard to avoid that with this, you know, if, and it's 150 years it better be special you know so i was really um digging through and kind of going back to my king's county days of like tasting literally every individual barrel and putting the blend together with each individual barrel you know and and tweaking it that way just to make sure it retained that brightness you know that that brightness and complexity so it didn't just taste like chewing on a baseball bat you know you have the absolute coolest job in the world it's i you're right <sighs> well on that note Cheers, I'm Cheers. going in. Get in there. Mm. It is absolutely amazing. Um, someone asked me actually about the proof because um, it's bottled at, you know, 45, which I know, um, you know, for a lot of the whiskey nerds out there, they, for something like this, might have expected a higher proof. 
but actually our barrels, um, our, our maturation is quite unique. Uh, we have these kind of single story kind of dunnage style warehouses. Right. Um, and also some, a little fun fact about Dickel is a lot of the whiskeys go into the barrel um, at 115 rather than 125. And those two things combined, um, the lower entry proof plus the, the single story warehouses um, tend to push the whiskey to trend downwards in proof over time rather than upwards, um, almost like a Scotch whiskey style warehouse. So uh, 45 is not far off of cast strength for these whiskeys. I want so there to be more so of this. I want there to be more of this. This is so good. It's just, <laughs> it's so balanced. It's, it's, Thank you. The age comes through and there's yeah. a there's a depth to it that is impressive. Like Thank it just you. good lord, like it hits the nice whiskey, right? Oh man, it's so good. It travels the, the mouthfeel is awesome. It travels all the way around. It's like it's on uh, uh, yeah. um, it's on tour. I love that like creamy feeling, you know, when it like spreads mm-hmm. across your tongue and yeah, really, that's especially in an old whiskey. That's something I really want. Like, and then that long, you know, you still taste it when you're breathing back out. Like, yes, like that. yes. <laughs> yes. In, in, in a way that you would, um, is impressive for its age. Like it, it, it lingers, it lingers yeah. and, and yeah. The, the sweet is, is, uh, joined by, other flavors like uh, sometimes mm-hmm. an older whiskey like uh, unlike scotch where the older it gets it can it can do more the older it gets with bourbon sometimes you just get way too sweet totally and, or you know I, yeah i agree with you they tend to get really like certain notes overpower you know and then it loses that like complexity and balance and i really wanted this to have that like unctuous you know there's some of our old whiskeys are kind of funky like savory like unctuous like um I don't know. I, I, it's intriguing whiskey to me. I, I think it's it's phenomenal whiskey is what it is. It's, I'm really uh, proud of it. You should it's be. It is cool. absolutely. Oh, we've got some really interesting old old barrels. I'm, I'm and going. Really I'm going to let you talk about whatever you want to. I'm just going to sit here and soak in this for a second. <laughs> if you, uh, well, uh, what's it's your what, what's your favorite vegetable? I'm just going to sit here and stare into this glass for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah i mean I'm, I'm so lucky to be able to work with these we've got our old whiskeys are they're so interesting like i mean i came out of crafts so it's not like i had access to a ton of old whiskeys before so i don't know maybe this is just how old american whiskey is but i think we're i'm really lucky with dickel because of the lower entry proof and because of those that style of warehouse that my old whiskey is still really complex and diverse. There's a lot of different flavors in there. Um, and you know, you can do, you can do a lot of exploring, which is actually one of the reasons I was really excited to put the single barrel out too, because there's so, there's so much variety, um, you know, in them of like different flavors and characteristics. And I think it, it would have been kind of a shame just to dump those all together, you know, cause you would have lost like Agreed. the, you know, all the differences that all those little like gems. Completely agree. And again, this is a good move for you guys as it broadens the the current consumer is looking for George Dickel 15 year. They're looking for a cask strength. Yeah. They're looking for the things that they they are seeing yeah. in the market and they ex- they now expect it. Like now that the door yeah. has been kicked open by the landscape, it's it's yeah. 
And you guys have always been really good at having a variety of spirits available. So you have a unique opportunity to keep your flagship and grow into these wonderful cascade moon expressions and and totally. the the sky without being a play on the moon the sky's the limit <laughs> we gonna how many puns per podcast do we have to sneak in like at least two or three more oh we've done so good we've done so good i would say it's not been hard <laughs> you're fired you're absolutely fired oh i i <laughs> felt it I, as it was happening i was like don't that, that, and there it was <sighs> that's what editing's for that's what's editing. <laughs> no need to send angry letters that's what editing's for people listening none of you'll, you'll never know any of that was said <laughs> what are we talking about <laughs> oh my i bet you guys do just have an absolute blast at the office it's, it's, it's just got to be so much fun. Uh, <laughs> Funny name. Yeah, well, I mean, and it's 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 one of those things. If you take it seriously, if you yeah. take that, if if you're gonna get mad about it, then you're gonna have a weird day every day. No, and like, it's not American whiskey is not supposed to take itself that seriously, you know. Preach. Like, I, I, it's supposed to be social and approachable, and like, fun. I mean, I, look, I'm grateful that people do take it seriously. I'm grateful that people care. You know, because that's mm-hmm. what makes my job fun and interesting to think that I'm producing things for people who are going to care that I made them and like take that time and effort. And I really love that people care. There's definitely a line of like, you know, it's whiskey and like it's supposed to be, you know, an affordable luxury and, and it's supposed to be uh, something social and fun. And, you know, I don't know, like it's whiskey. Like yeah, we can yeah. calm down a little bit. <laughs> That's exactly right. I, I always love it when I see people um, tasting and they, they've got this look on their face where they're just trying so hard that it doesn't look like they're enjoying it at all. Like totally, and I feel so terrible for folks who, who are like so nervous they're gonna like ask the wrong thing or like the wrong thing or yeah. you know. Um, and I that's the only thing I try and push back against. Like there is no you know, it's whiskey, like everyone's like, Oh, you know, or does it make you so mad when people mix it in Coke? Like, no, absolutely not. Like that's their jam. That, Let them do absolutely. their jam. And like, and you know what, like, however you like to drink your whiskey, like better ingredients are going to make that better. So why wouldn't you use my nice whiskey, you know, for the way that you want it? Like, exactly. please care, care about the quality, you know, of the thing, like absolutely. And, and enjoy it how you want it. Like I have absolutely made mint juleps from very expensive bourbon and I have no regrets. Yeah, it, it, that's <laughs> exactly right. It's all about how you want your experience to go like like at no yeah. point does you and your mean anybody else's opinion comes should come into play absolutely not and as a producer like that makes me happy it makes me happy to think that someone um you know wants my whiskey and and is interested and like wants it and if i can appeal to both people on the same day you know like the folks who are the most hardcore aficionados of whiskey and also the person who knows nothing and just wants it, you know, with Coke on ice. And if both of those people are getting enjoyment, like then I, I feel like I've done that right. And, and PS, a lot of times both of those people live in the same person. I am both of those people simultaneously, right. you know, right. like I will absolutely sit and dissect a glass of whiskey and I will also drink it, you know, in a highball at like, you know, on ice, like or whatever with them, you know, and enjoy that delightfully. Dickel and Sundrop, that's a great drink. Dude, 
You, know? you, just, you just you just reached into the Carolinas right there. Dickel you know, and Sundrop. A, really? I've never heard there of that. Is a place, there is a place on the lake down here that makes Dickel and Sundrop slushies and like a slushy machine in the summer. That's great. That, that is grand. <laughs> Dear Lord. Okay, so oh, okay. I need okay. to I need to figure out a summer job in Tennessee. I'm gonna oh, be a lifeguard. So I'm gonna good. be a lifeguard at the slushy truck. <laughs> It is so good. And, you know, there's a time and a place. Yeah. Well, at at time and a place, that's exactly right. Like, I I feel like people unnecessarily try to put themselves, not only others, but put themselves in, I only drink a hundred plus. Well, well, one day you're not going to want to. Yeah. 126 is great sometimes. 80 is great sometimes it there's yeah. there's room for every proof every flavor etc etc because at Karen the end Ann of the published day a great article about that today that really made me giggle um it was uh you might be a proof for if <laughs> <laughs> yes very yeah true. it's good it, it well i think a, a common misconception about all those high proof whiskeys is it, you know I, at least speaking as someone i've put those out my intention was always to allow the drinker to have the experience of diluting it themselves, you know, and experience the, all of the like kind of aromas and things that are released in the process of the dilution, not necessarily that you would drink it at that strength, you know, just giving you the opportunity to experience the dilution process. Cause it, you know, booze dulls your palate, like things come out of solution and they're often like more expressive at the lower proof. Not that you can't drink it at a higher proof, but sure. you know, th- there's mean, the whole world to explore. It's exactly. Exactly. If you start hot, have a sip without anything in it, then put a little water in it and yeah, put like a little peeling the onion, adding yeah, a little more, a yeah. little more, a little more, a little more. And like, that's a fun journey. It's like super Mario brothers. You start out only you're starting at level nine and you work your way backwards. <laughs> Yeah, right. Da-na-na-na-na, indeed. Womp, womp, womp. <laughs> so you have also sent me uh, a beautiful 15-year uh, that, oh, that I'm also looking forward to. Um, and again, this is right there. The, the last one uh, was 17, you said, correct? Yeah. And yeah, this one so is 15-year. I love yeah. that you chose to keep them separate. I love that you saw something special in both of them, and then you kind of pushed forward in different, like, like this is going to be you, and this is going to be you. Yeah. Well, these the ones that I picked for the anniversary, like they they blended well together, right? And they're in that because they blended well to make the whiskey. The 15-year is a single barrel program, and it's a true single barrel where, you know, each barrel is dumped, bottled, until it's up and then we stop, you know, like there's no mixing between the barrels. So, you know, what you're about to notice and taste, like, I don't even know. Could be any of them. And they're all different. It's got a wonderful sweetness to the front of it. Like Mm -hmm. the the, the nose is like, it's soft yet pronounced. I believe you. I never try to give too many descriptors when you're dealing with a nose. Like I hate it when people go yeah. through a Rolodex of I'm getting a hint of walnut mixed in with an <laughs> apricot dream and what feels like a, a the mist of a morning dew as it falls off. A I'm so guilty head. of that. So sometimes I have to rein it in. <laughs> I, I try to rein it in. Person. I get I get excited sometimes and I give everything that every. Yeah, I, I did. I did just get a hint of. A banana? Did I get a hint of banana? I don't know. Did you? Sometimes I need um, I, I I need cl- uh, to know that I'm right so that I'm, I I know I'm not having a stroke. 
<laughs> I can't help you there because I don't know which barrel, you, you know, there's all the barrels are different. So I have some 15 year old, but I'd be nosing a different barrel than you. So if they'd be different, it's, it's delightful. You could, thank you. You definitely could be smelling banana. I use it. She'll catch me. My wife will catch me nosing something in the morning and I'll be like, no, 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 no. In the middle of a pandemic, you have to make sure every day that you can taste and smell. So that's, that's right. It's important. It's important. Yeah, it's good. It's good to check in. It's a yeah. safety precaution. Absolutely. <laughs> the banana oh. smell is an interesting one, actually. Um, where that comes from, there's a particular compound uh, called butyric acid that smells like baby vomit. Um, was not delightful, but when it oxidizes, it smells like banana. Um, and it comes from for the fermentation. So you're maybe smelling a little oxidized butyric acid in there. Isn't that fun? Oh, so so should I not say that? Is banana like a bad thing no, to say? No, it's a great tasting note. Okay, okay. No, it's a very common in rum, right? Like um, it's it's desirable, right? But that's one of the reasons that like nosing a distillate and like the nosing a mature whiskey can be a little deceiving, you know, that um, something that was great off of the still might not be great later and something that wasn't great off of the still might be beautiful later and, one of the many reasons why whiskey is magic. Well, I like it, and I meant it as a compliment. <laughs> I appreciate it. It's, it's a good smell. Why not? That's how it's supposed it. to smell. It's right, a fun I'm, one. I'm going in. I'm. Cheers. Get there. Cheers. That's another one. That is so smooth. What is the proof on this guy? Uh, they're all different. So... Um, the 15-year-old actually is bottled at multiple different proofs um, because so the variability that I talked about in our mature whiskeys and the different positions in the warehouse, there's a wide swing of barrel proofs. So some of the barrels are still pretty high, you know, maybe 105, 110, maybe even close to 115, but then a lot of them have dropped really low um, all, all the way down into the 80s. And so to my mind, for a single barrel program, it would have been a real tragedy to dilute like that, that 105 proof barrel down Agreed. to 80. So um, actually the single barrel is bottled at multiple proofs. So I have like six different, six, seven different proofs so that when we're bottling, um, it gets bottled at like, you know, it's like prices, right? Rules. It's like closest without going right, right. under, you know, like <laughs> you pick the, you pick the closest proof so that we minimize dilution off of the cask. I love, I love the legs on this thing as you swirl it. Mm-hmm. Uh, this this is to me like if you're if you're an avid whiskey drinker, this is this is one that you want. Like this tastes like whiskey. Like yeah, it, they're, it, they they're all and like some of them will be so different as well, which I think is always kind of fun and exciting if you're an average whiskey drinker to like you know be surprised occasionally. Um, so it should be the kind of thing where you can keep coming back and like finding more gems. Totally, I I love it. It, it is it is one of those. It, that, that's the that's the best descriptor I can give. It feels like you are. It is it is whiskey. It is not trying to be something else. It's not trying to be light. It's not trying to be hot. It is just yeah. a well rounded, full flavored whiskey that has well, that Tennessee single barrel at that age is not going to be subtle. No, no, it kicks the door down. So for me personally, the the Cascade, if I could drink mm. it every day, I would drink it every day. Yeah, but, it's beautiful. But knowing that 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 I now have to like preserve this and tell everybody that I've already Absolutely got, not. It's for drinking. 
doesn't last forever. No, 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 no. There's going to be people listening to this that are going to come over to my house and say, where's the rest of it? She said we <laughs> needed to drink it. Now, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to drink it. Don't get me wrong. I just, <laughs> I'm going to hide it in a little safe and then I'm going to go. It's going to be like um, it's going to be like uh, a Batman. I'm going to have a little cave and I'm going to pull a clock backwards <laughs> and go downstairs and <laughs> I'm going to drink it by myself in the dark. Just be careful because speaking from personal experience, next thing you know, you've got like hundreds of bottles of whiskey in your house and you're like, what was I doing with this? <laughs> and we've come full circle. That's right. I can't wait for a, a birthday party or a christening for this. I need, I need to get started today. Right? <laughs> but for my every day, this 15 yeah. year is is That's wonderful. It's what I yeah. personally like in a whiskey in, in that it's full bodied. Uh, yeah. it, it stays uh, it, it sticks around like the finish does not go away. It lingers without being abrasive. The burn mm. weaves into the flavor that you get off the palate. And honestly, it, it, it drinks. I was expecting something lighter from the nose, which is a yeah. compliment because the nose does not go ethanol on you. Like it, it is, it is a very fragrant nose. So with the 15 year olds, like what I was screening for is like a level of quality, right? So if the whiskey was good, you know, if it was interesting, recognizably good whiskey, balanced whiskey of quality, like they were all going into the program regardless, you know, there was no, I wasn't picking for a particular flavor profile, right? So vanilla, spicy, eucalyptusy. there's one of them was like really crazy savory. Like I, you know, I smelled some weird ones, right? But they should all be quality, right? right? right. You know, like you described, right? Like, so, you know, some complexity there, maybe something unexpected, something balanced, like, you know, they should all be a delight, but they could all be massively different. How do you, how have you trained your palate to do this? Like how, how practice? Huh? I think it's just time, honestly, just time spent. Um, and my best recommendation for folks that want to get like more comfortable with it um, is actually reading tasting notes because often like you're smelling something and what you're hunting for is the language to describe what totally. it is that you're perceiving, you know, but once you know to look for it, it becomes much easier to find it. And then you can start to sort of like shuffle through the Rolodex in your head of common whiskey tasting notes. And then just rather than trying to ask yourself, like, what do I smell? Which is a really intimidating question. Just be like, do I smell vanilla? Do I smell, car you know, what type? Is it like caramely or is it like toffee or is it like marzipan or is it like fresh vanilla? You know, like, it, it, once you have the language, right. we, you know, we can all use our noses, right? So it's more just the way to think about it. So honestly, reading tasting notes is, is I think, the best way to get, make yourself get a little better. I, I've had this weird thing that I've learned about myself and, and everybody's palate is different. Um, if I go in with any preconceived notion, it's almost like my brain puts the taste in the box I had dug That's for it. That's all brains. That's humans. That's the secret of salespeople. If you ask someone, and that's why everyone thinks they want to come blend with me, and then they realize it's an incredibly boring and tedious experience because you don't talk. Right, right. You don't drink. You just nose and write notes. And like, yeah, there's no, it's, it, and, because it, you're exactly right. If you say something, like, mm -hmm. then your brain is like, sees that thing. So, yeah. Well, I did now. Well, I do now. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> see, see, that doesn't sound boring to me at all. I, I, I feel like that would just, I would kind of geek out on that because you would sit there and do you write it down or do you have like a card that you, like, like, 
I write it down usually. So I'll keep like a notebook and write it down and then you'll kind of put it into like an, like a spreadsheet later. So you can search, you know, so like if I'm putting something together, like for the 17 year old, right. When I first noticed those girls, it wasn't um, with that in mind necessarily. But then when, when I came up with the idea, I was going to do this and use that cask. It was like, all right, let me go look for, right. you know, tasting right. notes and you kind of do it on paper of like, all right, that those sound like they'd be good together. Let me go pull those samples out and start to try to work with them. Uh, that's awesome. And it, 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 there is a mental complexity to what you're doing that I, I understand how somebody could sit there and be bored doing it, but I, I I'm right there with you. Uh, comedy people think you just get up and tell jokes. They don't understand that to do it. You've mm -hmm. also got to go through everything that you've ever done on stage and cherry pick the parts of it that yeah. will work for the story that you're telling. And then like get them all to work together. Like two of them might be really funny, but they don't work next to one another. And yeah, yep. it's it's fun though. It's um that's what makes it interesting. And I wish people talked more about that in American whiskey, actually, like that blending part, because you know, there's there's so so much of an understanding around like mash bills and yeast strains and proofs off of the still and all those things are impactful, but there's also a huge piece of the flavor development of the whiskey that happens in the barrel. And there's a lot of control you can exert, you know, at, at the point of the blending process around character. I was thinking about that the other day. I, I, I think, or, and again, this is my opinion. The reason that people can focus on the mash bill and, and then kind of leave blending alone, because I'm with you where blending needs more, uh, a, a larger light shown uh, shown on it. Uh, it's very easy for your for when you're talking about things. You don't have to go into a long conversation about it if you just go, yeah, yeah it's thirty six coin or thirty six rye yeah. and fifty coins. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You give three numbers and then you can move on, and you don't yeah. lose the person you're talking to's attention. They're just like, oh yeah. yeah. Then we're blending. Yeah. You you um, a one. A hint, right. of, a hint of caramel. Yeah. A2. <laughs> Caramel's been replaced by marscapin. <laughs> you think that you don't think people would find that fascinating? A3. Weird. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> well, that's, maybe, maybe that's why I'm not always great in those situations. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's, where, that's where you bring in Merle. You bring Merle back. A1. You're right. You're right. People would listen to him all day, I have no doubt. You put like a subtle D, uh, a D, D chord followed by an A chord followed by an F chord and just have well, him. If we made the Merle, you know, 3D like yep. hologram and then I just spoke through that, people would definitely find, <laughs> my, find it a lot more interesting. You're probably right. <laughs> Welcome to George Dickel. We're going to start with the blending process. And they'd be like, that's exactly what I was expecting to find when I came here. Perfect. They probably, if you start yeah. like that, that I would sit there and watch that. Absolutely. The thing people don't know about blending is A1, <laughs> caramel, A2, <laughs> hazelnut, A3, Mars Capan and people are just sitting right. there. there's gonna be some whiskey nerd like just sitting there like I knew it I knew a3 was Mars Capan okay <laughs> it's true <laughs> well uh, you have been so gracious with your time today yeah. you have well, it was a fun chat thanks oh, for man. having me I've thoroughly enjoyed really talking fun. to you I'm so glad uh, I, I love what you're doing. I, I, I think that you. you are exactly what the brand needed right now. Thanks. And what you're, you're just getting started. I can't wait. I want to do this again. I want to do this again. Yeah. The next thing that you come well, out let's. with. 
We'll keep you on the list because it's going to keep coaster. coming. I, I, that's what it, it seems like you're just coming. click 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 clicking right now you, you've not even what happens when i don't have to be on the road all the time and i can just stay in the distillery oh boy you just wait i've been finding some things <laughs> <laughs> i bet that's right i bet you've had just like the i mean every not the best year but a productive year oh uh, yeah a little time on my hands to spend with the whiskeys there's uh absolutely it's gonna <laughs> it's gonna yield just howard hughesing it just howard hughesing it with the whiskey yeah, listen, awesome. I, man. If someone doesn't come get me when this pandemic is over, I'll still be in there. <laughs> but that's that's sounds like that's exactly where you want to be, though. That sounds like a, a good thing. I feel pretty fortunate. <laughs> I'm really, I, you know, I'll be excited though when these all get to come out to be able to like share them with folks, right? Because that's what they're for. So oh, totally, and 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 just each release having its own identity. It just it sounds so fun. It sounds like such a cool way to be spending your professional time i feel pretty lucky <laughs> well, I always <laughs> thanks like for letting ask. me chat about it oh uh, anytime into people's living rooms anytime i i'm next all, best thing. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed it uh, i always like to ask people uh the last question who would sure. you put on your mount rushmore of distillers Ooh, that's a good question um i would probably put David Blackmore and Bill Lumsden, right? They're the, the like, they come together, right? You know, I always experience them as a duo, right? So, but Glenn Morangi was one of my original, like favorite whiskeys. So um, I definitely think about them and uh, gosh, Todd Leopold, man, that man's a legend. Um, and probably Maggie Campbell. How many people can you put on Mount Rushmore? Is it four? Well, I mean, we've got advances in technology. You can probably build a mountain as as tall right. as you want it to be. Oh boy, uh, those folks have done some genuinely amazing things. I don't know. That's what that's the first ones that come to mind. I and mean, there's so many like there's so many people doing so many interesting things in whiskey. And I feel like I don't even know half of them right now. Like, you know, what Ali Ocho is doing with Firestone Roberts in Texas. Like, it's so exciting. There's just so many exciting people doing some really interesting, creative things, you know, all over the place. Um, Matt, you know, Westland, like the whole concept of American single ball and like being around for the birth of that, you know, obviously you have to put Chris Williams from Copper Sea on Mount Rushmore just for the beard alone, you know, like you gotta have, <laughs> gotta have that, and, you know, so that it looks like proper. It's not a proper Mount Rushmore unless there is like some protruding yeah. stone beard. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And the man bun. You and know. the man bun. <laughs> so I got Christopher. As, as people, uh, as people watch it from afar, uh, the tour guides telling them that man bun actually costs 2,200 man hours and th <laughs> three people their lives to build that man bun. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, George Washington, right? Like the father of American distilling. Of be course. On there. He, he can be on two. He will we'll <laughs> build the, the, the whiskey Mount Rushmore, like right across from the other yeah. Rushmore. And they can right. so like, there's a connect here because it's still presidential, yeah. you know, but then this one just went off in a different direction. <laughs> well, plus we can get funding for it. If we've got George Washington involved. Dead right. Smart. Savvy. You're savvy <laughs> well, I appreciate your time today. You've been so much fun to talk to. Uh, thank you. And, and I hope to talk You're to you so again. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's been a fun chat. Anytime. Take care. You too. 
So there you have it, everybody. That is our conversation this week with Nicole Austin. How freaking cool is she? I mean, I had fun. I hope you guys enjoyed listening. I I don't remember laughing that much during a conversation in quite a while. I, I would gladly pay extra money to have a hologram of Merle Haggard introduce me to George Dickel when I get to the distillery. I, I just think that just sounds like so much damn fun. I love her sense of humor when it comes to the brand and that she understands that it plays into uh, where George Dickel sits in the American lexicon of whiskey. I think that she is in a great position to just take that brand uh, up and up and up and up and higher and higher and higher. I I really did enjoy talking to her and thank her so much for her time. Uh, We want to thank everybody for listening again this week. We are thoroughly enjoying putting this together for you guys, so we hope you're enjoying listening. If you would, please just go hit like and subscribe and do all the things, Instagram, YouTube, all that good stuff. And we will be back next week with more Bourbon Showdown podcast. Next week, we're going to have, if I remember correctly, we have Very Old St. Nick next week. That's right. Very Old St. Nick. What a story this brand has. So please uh, come on back next week and we'll, we'll talk about that. You guys are probably tired of hearing me say great conversation, but by God, they're all so good. I'm enjoying it so much. So come on back next week. We've got more of the Bourbon Showdown podcast. My name's Jesse Jones. We'll see you guys then. Have a good one, guys. Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.